0: Multiply Podcast. Conversation aimed to stir, equip and provoke. Interviewing thinkers, practitioners and pioneers as we aim to inspire and equip kingdom people to launch kingdom communities. You can find more resources on the Vineyard Churches website www.vineyardchurches.org.uk.
1: Well, we've got the the joy and the delight of being joined by John and Ellie Mumford. Uh, I realise there are a number of people who listen to this in the vineyard, but for those who are outside of that context and may not know, they're currently the coordinators of the vineyard internationally, which is a very grand title in itself, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it we we're big big cheeses. That's a we're going to jump around a number of things uh, around the conversation of multiplication, but John and Ellie, could you just give us a snapshot of that role that you're doing at the moment, just to give people a picture who don't know you maybe as well? What's mm-hmm. it? What does it look like to coordinate the vineyard internationally? I sure, wish
2: we knew. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're looking forward to finding out. No, um, we are the way the vineyard is uh, set up around the world. Is that when churches get planted in different nations, and those churches develop and expand and multiply and flourish, and in a particular nation you have um, increasingly a vineyard family there, there comes a point where we lay hands on them all. You know, once leaders have emerged and they're flourishing and they're. You know, financially relatively secure, and they've got a certain number of churches, and 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 all of that. Good leaders, good and good leaders have emerged. We Absolutely. we lay hands on them, and, because we don't want to, the whole thing to be governed centrally. We want the we we are fully expecting, and it's been our observation that the Spirit of God will speak to a group of people in a nation, a group of leaders, and others. In a nation and they need to be free to listen to him to obey him and to do what he tells them but rather than do it entirely in isolation on their own they've chosen to do it a bit like churches in, a, in even in the uk but in any abc um they choose, they they that's what they want to, that's their passion but they don't want to do it follow the leading of the lord but what they don't want to do is to do it alone they want to do it in the company of others um, and for, for for people who want to do it as part of, a, of the vineyard family, that's what they do. So each of these nations now, and there are 16 of them currently around the, com- around the world, that have their own, as it were, infrastructure and their own leadership in what we call an association of vineyard churches. That's a vineyard family in a nation. Each of them have a leader, and we spend our time working with those leaders time and energy encouraging them uh, um
3: and build, helping them build their teams Helping
2: them, exactly
0: and, um, and just give us, just give us a quick snapshot of those 16 yeah. yeah um you you know obviously post-covid world coming into a new reality what does that look like do you know what i mean like is there a massive difference in terms of how abcs have come out of the pandemic or is it actually kind of similar traits across the world
3: I think Uh, yes. I would say everybody has struggled in the same way. Um, Everybody is struggling with finances and giving. The African churches—they literally depend on what they collect on a Sunday. Mm. And when they haven't been able to meet, and in one country where they, you know, their church have been swept away in a flood, I mean that's a very precarious way to live. So they've
2: struggled particularly, and we've helped them. And often, alongside that, has been. Um, their internet yes. is not as reliable, and uh, and is not as fast. So they've not been, they weren't able to do the s- Sunday streaming. Hmm. So that they weren't able to gather in quite the same way. And of course, they've not been able to do um, an awful lot of us now. Um, when people give their tithes and offerings to the church, they do so the via the internet in some hmm. way. Yeah. And, that, and that's and that tends to stabilise income. So Whereas some of them have taken a big hit
3: like that. Whereas recently, last autumn, we went to South Africa, we went to Australia, we went to New Zealand. And in all cases, they were desperate to be together again because they had not met for three years. they have been really isolated, especially the New Zealand people. They were very nervous of being together again. They were anxious. And in each case... Instance in each nation, three national conferences back to back, the Spirit of God came and just moved through. And the fear went and the excitement grew. And the extroverts all over the place were thrilled because they kept hugging each other. The introverts couldn't wait to go home. It was so overwhelming. (laughs) So, I mean, in that way, I think I'm telling you that to say basically all of us have been affected and in similar ways so whether it's south america or whether it's north america or australia new zealand we've all and europeans we've all taken a hit but i think people feel that was then and this is now and certainly the atmosphere looking forward to them all meeting together in portugal in march is very upbeat and very excited and very wanting to press on again
0: yeah it feels like a different moment doesn't it like in my reflection of the churches that i'm talking with it's like yeah. actually there's this this deep sense of hope and particularly yeah. around people coming to faith as well you know the spirit yeah. the power of the spirit moving and then people coming to faith it just feels there's that expectation for the power of god to come and, and faith rises yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. No. yeah
1: and if if we were just to that's the context of of you guys now if we were just to jump back in many years to those days when you planted that first vineyard church in in the UK um I just wonder even can we touch on some of like your, your emotional response to that you know was was the fear was the trepidation was there excitement
2: I think I think the the fear and trepidation and uh, well at least the not necessarily paying the cost but counting the cost that we knew we'd pay as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think a lot of that came in the couple of years that that preceded it.
3: When we were because
2: it was the decision leading up to the decision to attach ourselves to the lunatic fringe, otherwise known as the vineyard. <laughs> uh, for me, at least. For me, at least, it, may be it a was a bit of, different. Because uh, uh, at the time I was working, we were working and loving, and still do. The Church of England, but. Um, if you're ordained in the Church of England, uh, at least then, this was 30 years ago, but, you know, it's not really the done thing to leave the ministry and to switch to another group. You know, that's rather, well, bad manners if you don't. <laughs> just don't do that. So, and I knew, I knew that would trigger um, a fairly, to put it, to understate it. Horribly, I knew that would trigger a very vigorous correspondence, mm. and it did. And it did for some of my it friends. It was, yeah. So I do actually have, still have it, the uh, collection of the letters. Some of them were absolute stinkers. We're not, a, gonna,
0: we're not going to share those right now. Very
2: Yes, yes, years and years ago, there was a very eccentric bishop, Anglican bishop of Salisbury who I think was a bachelor, a man called Joe Fison. And, and whenever he got difficult correspondence he didn't like, he would tend to read his his letters in the bath. He would post them down the side of the bath. <laughs> Between the, the edge of the bath and the wall, he would just post. So, so when he retired and they refurbished the house, you know, and they removed the old bath, there was a cascade of <laughs> stroppy letters that he had never acknowledged so I didn't quite do that but that that was I think as much as anything where the fear and trepidation was Mm -hmm. and by the time we then went to Anaheim for 18 months and by the time we came back it was like you know the die is cast (laughs) this thing may not work but mm. we're going to come back and we're give, going to give it a...
3: and we work together well we complement each other so john is very measured very, as you probably know, very wise.
2: It's boring,
3: but no. Um, counts the costs, makes lists, plans. So well. I'm just excited, and I was excited because I knew by then, by the time we get back, came back in June of 1987, I knew that I knew that I knew we were onto
2: it, and that God had spoken, mm.
3: and I had written. Yes, yeah. and
2: I knew that
3: you did. So yes, in did. that sense,
2: we shared. it. Yes, we just expressed we it differently. Exactly. I never had any. You know, people talk about going off to plant church was a great sense of euphoria. I never ever felt that. Never. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it was what God had called us to do. So, fi- fine, great. You had go- incredible certainty. Let's that. go and do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> there was no euphoria because we knew, you know, it, uh, it, cost it, a lot. it was going to be. Well, uh, Again, it's very difficult to talk like this without it sounding heroic. Mm-hmm. And at least we don't think of it like that. Yeah. didn't feel that for us it was just like mm, what's the next thing mm. lord yeah. we're, we're going to we're not better and worse than anybody else we're not cross with the church of england or grumpy and you know storming out and slamming the door there was none of that and we love it and still do so i mean i can't really talk like this but the reality is i don't feel that we left anything people say why do you leave the church of england i didn't really feel i left anything Yeah, because I didn't, you know, deep in my roots and my culture, um, there is the the Church of England is there, but it doesn't preclude other things.
3: And you ordained the whole church, yeah,
2: I did all, you know. So, and lots and lots and lots of our friends are still working there, and that's where, you know, that's where God has them, and Mm -hmm. nobody could be more thrilled than us. So I don't want it, to, we don't want it to sound sort of heroic and or, you know. We, we know the truth, John. We know the truth. Very good. Very good.
1: I guess one of the things we wanted to kind of draw out of you both was you at, at that point of planting that church, did, did you know that it would be? Did you intentionally set out for it to multiply quickly? Was it yes, was it yes. led by the but, Lord? Um, was, were the things that you did that you had in your culture and DNA? What, what did that season look like?
2: I think we, yes. we I don't know about growing quickly. We knew it was going to grow. And we had we, a
1: plan.
3: We, we had a plan. Planned.
2: That was right from the start. So I remember from the very first house group we started in our front room, in a, a, a scruffy little house in Wimbledon, on the outskirts of the cheap side of Wimbledon. From the very first group, we mm-hmm. knew we were looking for leaders mm-hmm. because we knew that in order to multiply, we'd need to identify, recruit, train, deploy, monitor, and nurture leaders. We, that was very it was deep. So in.
3: ingrained. That was
2: ingrained in us. Yeah. And so from day one, we were how can we give this thing away i mean that's what we had loved about the vineyard Mm. and that's what i think had sort of gotten got into our our bones got into our dna that this thing is not just this is not about us this is not for us it's for for the lord it's for the church it's for the country and And so
0: it was so it was intentional, but would you say it was organic intentional or would you say it was quite strategic in the sense... Do you know what I mean? It's like when I say you knew that you wanted to multiply, you did those things, you started your small group, you wanted to multiply your small group. Mm, did you yeah. have a blueprint beyond that or was it more... Yeah, I
2: think I think we always knew we were going to plant churches. I think mm. we always... Yes, we did. We yes. always knew that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and we worked incredibly hard for the first year growing and just... And there was an element of which you can't underestimate, of sovereign things. Those people would turn up on the doorstep. David and Alison Flowers phoned from the M1 on their way down from Leeds and said, where are you meeting? We're coming. (laughs) I mean, sovereign. He was
2: the first person we ever knew who had a mobile phone. It was like a brick. Yeah, it was a huge thing. You know, would dislocate your shoulder if you held it there for too long. And they
3: literally, and then Hugh and Ginny Cryer arrived on the doorstep because the Lord had spoken to them that morning and said they lived down in Petersfield or somewhere down in Sussex. He was in the Royal Navy. He was in the Navy. And the Lord spoke to them that morning and said, go to the city and it'll be told you what you shall do. So they turned up on our doorstep and said, that's why we're here. I mean, it was just, there were lots of those. There was somebody who was riding his bicycle in Harrow, okay? North London, Harrow. And his wife was nagging at him because she wanted to come and look at the group in Merton Park. And he was very reluctant and grumpy and it was a rainy morning, he was cycling to work and the bus in front of him stopped suddenly and he jammed on his brakes, looked up and across the back of the bus, it said destination Merton Park. Now, nobody has no, there is no bus from Harrow to Merton Park. Nobody's ever found a bus that does that route. So, you know, when you put those stories together with a really thought-through, intentional, strategic plan, which is all John's way of working, the two coming together increasingly persuaded us that this is really, we really are onto something here.
2: So, for example, when we started off and we planted what was then the first church and then two other couples um, planted... um, in uh twickenham and in st albans uh rick and rick and lulu williams and chris and Phyllis lane and then a fourth couple martin and, and linda. linda smith were in Ma- planted church in manchester it's it's no longer a vineyard but um at the time and um, and at that point we stopped planting mm. And probably for a couple of years, and the thinking was, and I remember talking this over with Wimber, the thinking was, um, if you go back to the uh, D-Day landings in 1944 in the Second World War, once the, they had landed on the beach, the famous D-Day landing in June forty-four, and they'd landed on the beaches and they got ashore fought their way ashore they then moved inland fought their way inland for i think it was about five or ten ten miles miles. it wasn't very far and then they stopped and they they built a very secure perimeter so they there couldn't be a counterattack that'll push them back into the channel but other than that they stopped and they spent the next few months simply building up reserves so it's technically known as a beachhead So all the things, food, resources, ammunition, medical supplies, all the things that armies need in order to fight, to sustain as they advance, all those things had to be brought ashore. And it wasn't until they were thoroughly resourced that they then broke out and General Montgomery went in one direction and the American General Patton went in the other. But the point was they they held back until and so we did much the same
3: which was exactly what Wimber said to us to do you and, want to build and, your beachheads in other words to build,
2: build build mo- to in to our case churches. build models of what a vineyard might look like because at that point you may recall that Wimber done a lot of conferencing here and mm-hmm. people well there was people who were familiar with the vineyard and thought they knew the they were familiar with vineyard conferencing mm-hmm. So they assumed they were they understood vineyard churches. But you and I know only too well there's a world of difference between a vineyard conference and a vineyard church. Yes. And that came as a shock to some. And so we needed, I mean, it was almost like up till now we've been playing with a football, and here's a slightly elongated thing, it's called a rugby ball. And these are the rules, and the goal, the goalposts look different. And the rules are different and you can handle the ball and, and, and it's just, it, it's, it's all football, as it were, but it, it's, the, there are different rules of the different shape, ball and, and so on. So, so, so right
0: from the beginning, you just had this sending mentality. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just trying to yeah. dig no, into that a little yeah. bit, because I think sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, on the one hand, it's the sovereign work of God. I agree. God brings the people. But at the same yeah. time, there was a deeply intentional Multiplication culture that you were trying to, yeah, yeah, that you were. And
3: John will keep saying, These are not our people, they're yes. not ours.
0: And
2: number one, and they're number two, Lord. this is not enough. Mm-hmm. This right. is wonderful, we're absolutely loving it, but this is not enough. I remember we went to, um, we'd done
3: about a year and we went to, on a conference with Wimber in Frankfurt on a team and we had supper with him in his room or something. And he said, You know, how's it going? And he, he was wonderful, quizzed us brilliant and we had about 76 people and we'd done it for a year and we were really pleased with ourselves and he just said oh that's nice that's good but now he says time to grow Hmm. what do you mean time to grow we've been trying to what do you think we've been doing for the last year we've got 76 people here he said, you know, there, there was just this sense, well, that's good, but there's so much more, there's mm-hmm. so much more. And he was a very good overseer because he kept on holding this thing out in front of us and saying, now you want to do this and now you want to do that. So grow your people and you know, so forth and so on. So, um, and then we were always looking for the next lot. And I remember we did the first three house groups ourselves because we did Thursday night, then we did Tuesday night, then we did Wednesday night. John was working, of course, to get money, literally to put bread on the table. And we had three nights a week, so it was pretty crippling. And then the fourth night, we thought we got another group. And of course, we who who could possibly lead a group? Who should we take a risk on in this lot? And of course, it was John and Debbie, because they were, they'd been there since week three. So we sent John and Debbie off. And of course, they did their first group. And the, the news came back, revival's broken up, we've never known worship like it. You know, <laughs> everybody's coming. It was, I mean, it's nothing's really changed in 35 years. But it was just, you know, we'd spotted them and off they went. And it was the, it was just the beginning of spotting yeah. these people and sending them off and not wanting to, because it meant that our groups got depleted. We lost the fizzy people that wanted to go with them. We And then, of course, as you start doing that with a church, you lose your, your leaders, you use your income, you lose the sort of people that gather around them. So from the beginning, it was costly.
2: And I think for those who stayed behind, you will have experienced this as well. Uh, one one character put it memorably. He said, John, it's like we're we're always going to the departure lounge of an airport. <laughs> waving them waving off. Waving goodbye to our friends as they go off and plant somewhere else. Wow. And then much later, a rather gr- gr- grumpy... <laughs> Wonderful friends and leaders who'd helped us build, but she was cross and she said, oh, "John, all you want this—this this is of the South West London we were leading. All you want this church for is for breeding." <laughs> so um, there was all, but it was always. Uh, having said that, uh, we were very—we didn't go. We we built s- slowly, yes, we deliberately. Did. We built slowly. We weren't in a hurry. Mm. We were very determined. We were determined focused. and focused, and knew where we are going. But we weren't in a hurry because we knew that we were laying foundations, mm. and we needed to model what we wanted to be, what we wanted to see reproduced. And, and would I... you? Oh, sorry, James. go on. Go on. Were you-
0: no, I was just wondering what your relationship with Wimber was at this point in terms of like, would, would you have like a, a weekly call, a monthly call? Do you know what I mean? And he was like, OK, you've reached this point. You need to do it. Or was it quite loose? It was
3: fairly um, loose, loose. And in the early days, he rang and I would answer and well, on one occasion, I said, John, how lovely to hear you. You always ring at just the right moment, to which he rather piously replied, I only ever ring when the Lord tells me to. <laughs> so shut up. that was a put down. I'll oh, shut up. Great. Stop it. And then he said to me, how is it going? Oh, another
2: occasion. Yes,
3: another occasion. How's it going? And I said, John, let me pass you over to John. He'd love to tell you how it's all going. No, he said, I really don't want to talk with John, Eleanor. I'd much rather talk with you. He is so conservative and you always exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> he and I would build the church by adding knots on the end during the yeah. conversation. Right. Uh, very good. So, but in answer to the question, it was pretty random. It wasn't that frequent. Mm. We were going backwards, we had been going backwards and forwards to the States quite a lot, and he'd been coming over here. Whenever he did come over here, do you remember one year he did spring harvest and he did all three spring harvests around the country? And John just drove him around the country.
2: Mm. No, but that we, was a little later. That was a bit and- later and that was um as we were uh, we were beginning to plant churches by then and grow and he was so to answer your question your immediate question uh, james in, he was our overseer yes, if you was. like he yeah. he was the it was about
3: 95 wasn't it? um
2: area or regional whatever you call, coordinator in effect but it was just at a distance a geographical distance i mean um then as the thing grew, and he obviously had in mind, though he hadn't said it to me or to us, but he had in mind that we would in due course become aerial regional coordinators, which sub- subsequently, of course, degenerated into national director. But in that process, so the the business of leading lead being trained in leading leaders, mm. that Um, The way that worked was he he was coming over and he wasn't doing conferences in the UK. He was certainly doing them. Well, either in South Africa, Southern Africa or in in Europe, continental Europe. And of course, as you know, most flights from California, uh, you come you don't go direct to South Africa for example you go you usually go via europe either frankfurt or amsterdam or london he would come through london and would spend a couple of two or three days and i mean i literally say this happened every six months on average i would i would collect questions mm. i would then sit him down when he was there he would answer my questions and i'd work through that and next time he came through i had a separate you know another list of questions Yes, Uh, that was that was really and and often at conferences, you know, he wouldn't he he said, I'm not going to let you speak at these conferences. You know, he'd bring Nathan or Nicholson or others, but he wouldn't. He said, I don't want you to speak. I want you to spend time with me. You can't do both. Mm -hmm. I want you to spend time with me so that we can talk and have these sorts of conversations and driving him around. You know, those sorts of things. I'd meet him at Heathrow and he'd often come and stay with us. So we'd have, you know, car journeys and over Meal breakfast parties. or over meals, to, to pick his brains, and that was highly for that me with the in developing the movement as opposed to developing the local church. That was really
3: that was a unique that was the, that was the unique privilege in that we were so, and that was incredibly important. So and
2: I, needless to say, I kept full notes, so I got all that. Material. Mm, mm. At some stage, I probably ought to write it up. Mm. But I mean, I realize now, working now, now that we're ourselves working with national directors, I realize what an invaluable training mm. it was. Mm, just yeah. extraordinary.
3: And sometimes, you know, we get into situations, and even to this day, John will suddenly sort of come off a call or we've been in some situation and he'll just say, Oh, I miss Wimber. We do miss him because yeah. he really was, it's not. Hero worship or hagiography. It's just he was brilliant. Hmm. And then sometimes we'll just look at each other and say, the man was a genius. Hmm.
2: But then Years the, ahead number, of his the time. number of Anglicans, Anglican bishops, I've heard, say exactly the same. The man was a genius. He was. Yeah. And um, curious enough, just literally this last week, I was on the phone, a Zoom call to the Australian New Zealand national directors, and we were talking about, and we were talking about something in particular, I can't even remember what it was. And I remembered I'd had I'd had a conversation with Wimber about it and and had captured it, so I sent I said to them, "Would you like me to? You know, would it be of any interest to you to see on this whole subject?" And they, I said, they absolutely loved it. So mm-hmm. it was incredibly helpful to them. Mm. John, um,
1: just thinking about how you. I mean, you've learned a lot from him and others in the process, but in those early days of releasing churches, were you finding that you were identifying potential church planters or were they identifying themselves to you? Does that does that make sense? Or was is it, it, is it a combination of the two?
2: It was it's yes. basically a combination of the two. Uh, um, we did start a thing that... You know, because we right from the start, we talked about church planting with our with people. And again, as Eleanor was saying earlier, there is a huge element of of God's sovereignty in all this mm. because he brought towards us. And people started hanging around through no coercion or, or seduction on our point. They just arrived. So I'm thinking of the flowers. I'm thinking of the Starrocks. I'm thinking of the criers, the Wrights, the, the Jason Clark's,
3: Wallace's. the
2: Wallace. I mean, you just a whole crowd of them came. Woodwards and Woodwards and uh, the McNeils, although they were in Birmingham, they kept them. Never kept
3: them away.
2: You know, you had to swat them away like yeah. a wasp. Yeah.
3: to they get were rid
2: everything. of them. And um, we, I, so we thought to ourselves, well we better start training them? start training them, not just for leadership in, in a local church, in a, but, but the potential the, the potential to plant churches. Mm. So we started the thing, and I deliberately gave it the, the most boring, unsexy title I could come up with. And it was, I think it was PPPMG. PPPMG. Potential Pastoral, uh, Pastoral something or other ministry, ministry group. group. I mean, it was. It's pretty catchy. It was. Well, it was presi- a it, real. It, story it was. Title. Um, I'm no good at t- sermon titles, anyhow, or these sorts of things, but I worked hard to make it sound. Really boring. Unattractive. And a
3: lot of people came. So we didn't. We didn't really recruit. They, a lot of them identified Ste- themselves. Stephen Juliet Barber. Barbers were there. Yeah. Uh, and the,
2: the, the, there were a lot of people who ended up going off and planting.
3: There were a lot of churches came out of it in a season, yeah. and it was amazing. We did wonderful training times. We met at John and Debbie's house. People would come from around the country. Um, one occasion was coincided with the Toronto thing. Do you remember that? Just, I mean, the place was just- Shambles. A shambles. I mean, so it was a very I, exciting so time.
2: Within that group, that was a pond from which we fish. Yes. Uh, uh, did they come to us or they? we go to them? I'm not quite sure. I mean, we just sort of bumped into one another.
3: There were I, also, to put the other side of it, there were people, because they heard we were doing something, a lot of people started to ask whether they could come and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And we had some very, very strange overtures from very yeah, weird, very odd people. Odd people. Mm-hmm. And we had to be really quite careful with saying, Yeah, no. So it wasn't all straightforward. But we and never weren't all
2: anybody who came anywhere near and was talking about church planting, we never ever made any promises no. that we were aware of. No. No. And the answer was, well, I wonder, just as Wimber had done with us, I, the first time we ever went to him, I ever went to him, you know, fasted and prayed and put on a suit and a tie and brushed my teeth and washed my hair and combed it, you know, and went to him. And this huge moment, uh, I took a deep breath and said, uh, John, I think God has called us to plant a vineyard. He just turned around and smiled at me and he said, well, I don't end of (laughs) and he made it he made it uh, um without in the least being unkind or cool or uh, unfriendly he made it very difficult he kept on putting roadblocks in our way because he remember at that point he wasn't focused on planting vineyard churches outside north america that was never on his we were embarrassment him yeah that was never his vision his vision was always to do church planting in north america u.s and canada and renewal worldwide not to plant churches worldwide which was one of the reasons he gave promises to people around the world which he then had to go back and renegotiate principally with (laughs) david watson but with others and it was just never part of his plan so when we came to him and indeed the south africans and the new zealanders you know to start with he held us at arm's length which i i thought had integrity i mean he wasn't going to shift so there was a season where we were caught because on the one hand we felt god had said to do this on the other hand we obviously went to you know i do understand the centurion servant who who is a who is an individual under authority as well as an individual in authority. And, you know, we all know how that works. Mm. So there wasn't any way that we were going to go ahead despite Wimber saying no. So we were in a sort of no man's land for a season. And at one level it was uncomfortable, but it was not much more uncomfortable that later when we were given the green light again, you know, it's just, just different
0: coaching and mentoring and i was just thinking about you know back to the wimber and the way that he inputted into your life really that kind of guidance through the different phases of church and the different moments and that input into you and i just wonder whether you could speak you know for people thinking about planting churches or you know, that that guidance from a seasoned leader who can see things, or I don't know, just I didn't know that you had any comments on that.
2: Um, uh, yes. Um, I, I think... think we've been
3: very, very, very fortunate. We had two vicars in the Church of England, the first of whom was absolutely outstanding, died just before Christmas. We were part of the funeral. Justin Welby came to his funeral because he said John Collins, who was our vicar, was the finest parish priest in England since the Second World War. So we were really, really privileged. So we were trained by him. And then we had another very happy second curacy. And then we had Wimber. So we have been very, very fortunate.
2: And well trained.
3: And very well trained. One of the distinguishing characteristics with John, which I would always encourage in younger leaders, is asking questions. I mean, mm-hmm. he. Almost to a fault, he's always been asking questions, and John and Wimber always used to laugh at him because he had these little black file packs, Would write down everything that Wimber ever said, and Wimber thought this was absolutely quirky. But, but I just love. I've, just, loved I've that.
2: always been inquisitive. Yeah. it's just, yeah, and it's based on not thinking I know. Yes, I, it's so it's not contrived. It's just genuinely I, I, I just fascinated. Yeah so when i remember talking with paul about working in the fire service just uh, it's just intriguing yeah cuz um, i love medicine that's why i i love your wife me,
3: Jen.
2: Uh, just because it's so interesting to me and so fascinating and how it, so and i have always and over the years I have deliberately gone and found leaders of leaders in different spheres yes. of life and picked their brains. Mm. So, you know, when Peter Farley who was a soldier um was part of the church I got him to introduce me to his general mm. and I went up central london had tea with him in his club and just picked his brains about leading.
3: Michael
2: Coleman and then industrialists you know um you know Coleman's mustard yeah, the Coleman family—they were bought out by General Foods, but but they used anyhow. The, the last Coleman family member who headed the company was wonderful Christian, wonderful leader, industrialist. And I would pick his brains every now and then. About every six, eight months, I go and have lunch with him with a whole lot of questions. And I, to this day, I mean, he's a, he actually is a genius, but is people don't know it on some of his stuff or leading leaders and what the role of a leader is and what the role of a leader is. It's just so helpful. Um, so I think it it, would, it does require imagination. I think it does. Um, I've also learned a lot from our two boys, particularly once they were teenagers, sure. I we observed in ourselves, you know, and you will have done it as parents, the way you treat a two-year-old from an eight-year-old to a mm. 12-year-old to a 16-year-old. The way that you parent them in each, you, you don't parent a 16-year-old like you used to when she was a two-year-old
1: yeah.
2: and vice versa. And so working, I learned a lot with them and particularly again with them it was more and more these days uh, it's it is asking questions (laughs) and that's that is a key so that they for example there was a time when James or Marcus would come and say you know I've got so and so um, this amount of money and here are the options I want to go and buy this particular piece of kit what do you think and you know I'd be fairly directive and it doesn't work like that but even now they'll sometimes come and I will always respond to their question with another question. What are your options?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we could do this. And then then we have a discussion about the pros and cons of the different options. And what does Carrie think? Or what does Holly yeah. think when they're married? So, you know, all the time you're... And you're not telling... me, You're not trying to micromanage. You're not trying to... Um, Control. you control you might tell them what you think but you would only do that right at the end of end of the conversation it's those sorts of things that i've noticed uh with with emerging leaders
0: yeah and uh, um, also leading leaders of leaders isn't it it's like it, it's something yes. that you learn to do like that's exactly right. because you keep asking people how they've done it do you know what i mean and, and yes. it's yeah. not you know, to move from leading a church to leading, you know, to planting those four churches, to leading a movement, to leading, you know, in a, in a global setting, in some senses, probably, I imagine one of your greatest qualities is the ability to ask questions and to learn what you don't know, rather um, than assuming um, that you already know how to do that. But there are people who've been before you, who are guides on that journey, aren't there? And I, and I, yeah, I, I've always deeply respected that quality in you, even when I was in my 20s, you know, mid 20s, you'd always ask me, oh, James, what do you think about this? And what would you do in this situation? And it was almost like you spent your life consulting people, no matter what age or stage they were. But it gives enormous dignity in that moment to, to that person that you're listening to being like, oh, I've never had the opportunity to say that. But it shapes your viewpoint as you then that make that decision. So it's, I, I just.
2: Uh, yes, I do. That's, and I think that's very good. I, I think I notice now with leaders of leaders who are now leading movements themselves mm. that it's often helping them make the connection between our vision and values and on the one hand and the outworking of it which is usually what they're struggling with mm. or if they're not struggling with it they ought to be <laughs> do you think
1: i wondered by way of ending if you'd be happy to pray for us um i think there's a number of things that will have landed in people and this may this may just be me that i really felt the holy spirit captivating me over i think i've often pondered what it is to have a heart for something larger than the thing you're doing and for mm-hmm. us personally to have a heart to intentionally sow seeds into the northwest mm-hmm. and i i was fascinated by you saying you I, I mean very humble in the in the way that you are about you didn't see church planting as your thing and actually it was always something for the movement birthing i just wonder if actually there'll be a number of people who'll be deeply challenged by this the heart and the desire we have to have for this next chapter and season is is something way bigger than the thing we're doing and mm-hmm. to release it and to have a desire and a heart to see that multiplied in the areas or the regions that we live and represent and I wondered if you'd be, yeah. be happy to to pray that over us almost as well.
2: Yeah, and um, I think it's something that God, I mean, obviously it's something that God does. Um, it usually, certainly with us, it feels preposterous. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, John, what are you thinking? How dare? It, you know, it's, it's, you think who you do are. you think you are? Yeah. It, exactly. And you, you never escape from that. Um and, and it's sort of bluff. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. But until somebody says no, let's try it. Mm. I mean, I do like, I mean, it is true. I do like building things. Yeah. I've always enjoyed that. So, and curious enough, I remember Wimber saying it once, you know, I really enjoy building things. And, and so, but, you know, in the Northwest, why not? Mm do you need to be an apostle <laughs> you can if you like i don't care what you call yourself but if you if you have what the scandinavians call a vision when you do vision and values for something bigger well try it yeah I, I mean i would in that sense i'm very strong on ambition yes and by that, I mean in the church, we're very strong about knocking ambition on the head, particularly if we're British, English. English, uh, and you know, it's proud and you're going to get a swollen head. Da, 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 da. Uh, I, I've never felt that. I've never felt the answer to that is God sends you enough failure and setback and difficulty and pain and anguish that keeps you humble. You, 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 longs. <laughs> long since did i ever think it was any credit to anything i i mean it's that's just the nature of it yeah so let's just take a punt let's see what might go and the, the it's more lord may i that's the way i lord lord may i do that may lord may i experiment with this with um this particular leader in uh, Chile may I may I drag him in and give him a a job that it'll give him a task to do that'll probably swamp him, but he'll come through and do it magnificently may may I, it's it's you know may I take a risk in that direction yeah. um and it's just dreaming what if yeah, yeah. What, what might happen if? So, I mean, even recently, I don't even know whether it's appropriate to do it because, you know, I'm, we're both terribly old, so we ought to be retiring. But, you know, what if... Oh, no, it's not true. There's no such thing as retirement. As... What if we were to have not just a, an international coordinator, but a continental coordinator? What happened if we had an ex-national director who had the run of South America or had the run of Africa, South, sub-Saharan Africa, You know, what could we do with some? You know, it's it's, that's the way Mm. what happened, you know, maybe in the Northwest or maybe in Scotland. I mean, you've, you know, you see what's happening in Scotland or or what's happened in Ireland in the last 10 years. Let's
3: go for Wales.
2: Yeah, it's just,
3: and it's happening in Wales
2: and the Northwest and across the North. But but what if, and it doesn't require a national director, it doesn't require a committee just bit of just, courage bit of the holy spirit bit of the holy spirit yeah. and a, a bit of a bit of a gamble and a bit of an
3: ambition
2: you know rolling of the dice and let's see and like, let's talk and what do you think and do you know without getting too yeah. intense about it without talking about it too, i wouldn't talk about it too widely except with people you know who have a clear idea what you're about and just wait and then talk about it once it's happened but not too much before it happens
0: get on with it
2: and just get on with it
0: anyhow right pray
2: over us you two go on go on ellie you pray over us go on lord we
3: thank you for one another and we thank you for this really lovely time together and god we thank you for the call there is upon us to the kingdom Mm. the call there is upon us to the church the call there is upon us to jesus his his cause his church the things that we love. And, Lord, we are not complacent, but we know for sure that you put on us something very special. We believe in the sacred trust. We believe that you've entrusted it to us. We believe that in our generation, John's and mine, and now in your generation, James and Paul and all the rest of you, there is a real longing in people Mm -hmm. for more of the kingdom, and for more healthy church life across this land. Lord, bless them. Bless them, and may the kingdom come in our time and in these places, in our land, for the sake of your glory. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.